Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. You know, I want to um, take you to a scripture. It's like an obscure passage of scripture tonight. I'm, I've I've shared it with you in the past. I've read it. I've read out of this passage before, taught out of this before, but it particularly grabbed me again as uh, as I've been thinking about it this week and thinking about tonight's service and and the privilege that I get to have to share with you God's word. I never take it for granted. It doesn't matter to me if there's three people here or if there's three thousand. Uh, I'm going to give you the best that I got. I'm grateful that you came. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that we have a church family. I'm thankful for everybody that calls this place uh, their home, everybody that calls life changers, their church family. Uh, I can't thank you enough. It's really a privilege to serve with you, to to reach souls with you. To We're on a mission, you know, to Amen. to take the love of God, to cover the earth with the love of God, to cover this earth, to cover this earth with the love of God, the goodness of God and the grace of God. And um, doggone it, we're going to do it. Amen. So um, so I consider it a real privilege to teach you and um, and I, I really believe that the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of God's word is the single most important thing that we could ever do in our lives, because not because um, not because that preaching is the goal. The goal isn't my goal here is not to preach a great message. My goal is to help you see a great God and help you see the goodness of God and help you to understand how great he is and how much he has for you and how much he's done for you, because if you see that it will it will bring you into your ultimate purpose in life. And and so let me let me tell you what that is in Revelation chapter 14, and then I'll take you to the scripture, the obscure scripture I want to take you to. But in Revelation, actually, Revelation chapter um, chapter four and in verse 11, it says, worthy, worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things and for thy will they existed and were created all things. Another translation says all things. God created all things for his glory and for his pleasure. You are we exist. I exist. You exist. We exist for the glory of God. We were created for the glory of God. We were created to give God glory. In fact, the fact is, is we were designed by God to praise him and to give him thanks. That's how we were designed. Whenever you use something like anything that man has made, any a tool, anything, a piece of equipment, a, a, a computer, anything that God has ever made or anything that man has ever made, only when it's used for the purpose for which it's designed, does it does it actually find its place or find its its purpose? Or uh, if you try to use uh, if you try to use something that man made for something different than what it was made for, you will not get the proper use out of it. In the same way, our lives were designed. We were created and designed by God and wired by God with the purpose 
of praising him, thanking him and worshiping him. When we are doing something different than that, when we are doing something other than that, we are not functioning the way that we are supposed to function, the way that we were designed. So if we were designed to function as praisers, as thankers, as those that are truly grateful and truly in awe of what God is and what he's done for us, that's when we'll truly function at our highest level and be in the perfect will of God. You see, the perfect will of God is not a discovery of what job or what assignment that you're here on this earth for. The perfect will of God is to truly give him thanks for what he's already done for us. You're truly in the perfect will of God. First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse 18 says, for this is the will of God, that in everything you give thanks. In other words, when you're in a place of gratitude, attitude continually for what God has done and who he is, then you are in the perfect will of God for this is God's will. This is the will of God for you is that to give thanks in everything. And that doesn't mean this is not a a manner learning good manners. Gratitude is not good manners. Gratitude is a a revelation, a realization of what God has done for you. It's to see clearly what God has done for you. That's why I believe the Bible should not be read as a book of rules, but the Bible should be read as a book of revealing what God is and what God has done, because only then will you be able to truly give thanks in everything. And no matter what's happening in your life, you'll be able to give thanks because you know what God is and you know what he's done for you. So no matter what you're up against, if you're dealing with sickness, you know who God is and you know what he's done for you. So it makes you thankful because, you know, healing is a part of what he's already done for you. No matter what you're going through financially, if you if your focus, if your mind is fixed on who God is and what he's done for you, then you will be able to give thanks in the midst of a bad financial situation, knowing that God is your provider, no matter what it looks like. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Amen. So you see, we were we were created not to run from problem to problem to try to solve and fix everything in our lives. I'm not saying that it's that you should just leave things broken. But what I'm saying is you weren't created to run around in life and be emotionally moved by everything that happens in your life. We were created and wired by God to be aware of, to be cognizant of, to be awakened to, to be woke. Come on, somebody can got to get woke here on what God is on, who God is and what he's done for you. When you get woke to that, you will truly live a life of thanks. You see the difference. The difference is I'm not here to say, well, you better just figure out, find some things to be thankful for and just have a thankful attitude no matter what. No, that that's that's the flesh just trying to put on gratitude. What I'm saying is when you are woke, let me just show you what I mean by with a verse of scripture in um, in first Corinthians, chapter 15. Let me let me show you something here. Let's look there. First Corinthians, chapter you. Everybody good tonight so far? You you guys doing good? You happy tonight? Okay, you're going to be more happy by the time this is over, not because it's over, but by the time it's over. 
first Corinthians chapter 15, first Corinthians chapter 15. Let me show you this amazing verse that has been a real source of encouragement and, and, and revelation to me. Um, it says uh, in 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 first Corinthians chapter 15, verse um, uh, 34. And let me read this to you from put the King James version of this of this verse up. First Corinthians 15, verse 34 in the King James Bible, if you guys can put it on the screen. First Corinthians 15, verse 34. He says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Now, again, um, one thing that we can learn from from Scripture and particularly one of the one of the things that we can learn from the Old Testament is the this principle of cause and effect. Like if you look through the if you look through the book of Proverbs, it really is full of cause and effect truths that if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. If you're wise, you'll you know, you'll you'll be you'll you'll be rich if you're if you if you get understanding, it'll be better than silver and gold. So there's a cause and there's effect. If you're a fool, you'll make this decision. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So there's a cause and effect as a man thinks within. So is he cause and effect. OK, there's a cause and effect. And so here we can parlay that principle Did you like that word parlay. We can parlay that principle over or use that, borrow that principle of cause and effect and apply it to this verse in verse 34. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Or in other words, when you awake to righteousness, when you awake to what God has done for you, when you awake to the fact that Jesus has become sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God, you will sin not. Mm, That went over really good. So let me try to explain it this way. When you awake to who you are in Christ, the effect will be the result will be the 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 harvest of awaking to righteousness. When you wake to righteousness, the harvest will be a you will sin less. You will sin not. In other words, the power to overcome sin doesn't come through willpower. The power to stop sinning comes when you are awake to righteousness. So when you are awake to righteousness, you know what it makes you grateful when you realize, wow, Jesus did all that for me. Jesus made me right with him. Jesus shed his blood so that I could stand in the presence of God without guilt, without shame. So I could stand in the presence of God and and be approved. I don't need to I don't need anybody's affection to make me feel approved. I don't need anybody's attention to make me feel approved. I don't need anybody's affirmation to make me feel approved. God has approved of me by the blood of Jesus. I've been made right with God and I put on the breastplate of God's approval, the breastplate of righteousness, which means God approves of me. He has given me his stamp of approval. Let me tell you something. When you awake to that, you you can't get more righteous. You already are that. But when you are more awake to it, it will it will empower you to live a godly, holy life. It will empower you to turn away from the things that you are. The reason why people do the things that they do is because they're lacking in gratitude. We're negative. And when we're negative about our life, we begin to try to fill it with other things. But when we're positive and grateful and thankful for what he's already done for us, we lose our appetite for other things 
things. We lose our appetite for sin. You see, God's way is a different way. It's not stop this and then you'll get that. It's realize what you got and you'll lose your desire to do those other things. This is how it works. And this is what I mean. And this is what Paul means when he says awake to righteousness and you will not sin. We were made to give glory to God. We were designed to give God praise. Um, The more the more worthy something is, the more we're going to praise it. You know, so we there's something inside of us. There's something inside of each one of us. We praise things that are good. We praise things that are worthy. We praise things that are that are beautiful. We praise things that are amazing. And what I mean by praise is we we talk about it. We we um, we 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 use words and we use expressions to say, wow, isn't that uh, isn't that sunset beautiful? Yes, it is. You're praising the sunset because it's beautiful. It's worthy to be praised. But the one who made it is even more worthy to be praised. Right. The, the all of the beauty in the sky, all of the creation, it's it's worthy to be praised. It's worthy to be celebrated. But what's more worthy is the one who made it. What's more worthy is the one who created it in the palm of his hands, the one who spoke it into being. And it was the one who said, let there be light and light began to flood the universe and fill us with hope and fill us with something to look at and something to see. And all the beauty in the world was created by God. And we praise all the beauty. But we need to realize there's nothing wrong with praising the beauty in this world. But we need to realize that the one who made it is even more worthy of the praise. Well, we, we have we if we if we eat something really good, you know what we do? We praise it. In fact, we praise it before we eat it. Mm, look at that pizza. Wow, that that's a thing of beauty, right? Oh, man, look at that. Um, I don't know, whatever the food is that you like. Uh, what we do when we when we go to a restaurant and we order our favorite meal, you know, we praise that meal. We're we're like, wow, this is the best. You got to try this. Think about it. That's what we do. This is so good. You got to try it. What are we doing? We're food evangelists. We're we're food. You know, we're soul food winners. When we love something, when we like something, when it's when something has been good to us, we praise it and we tell other people about it. This is how I want you to think about God. I want you to realize that how good he is and how beautiful he is and everything that's beautiful and everything that's good he made. And therefore, the thing we praise should be recognized. We should recognize, man, it's when the sun comes out and it's a beautiful day and it's 75 degrees. You praise the day. You're like, oh, it's such a beautiful day. Well, I just and all these good feelings come over you. Right. Or you look at or, or, or somebody that in your life that you love and you're like, oh, that person is so important to me. I love them. And they're so special and they're so kind and they're so sweet. What are you doing? You're praising something that's beautiful. You're praising something that's worthy of praise. This is why. We need to look in the Bible and to see how good God is, because the more you realize how good he is, the more you're going to realize how worthy he is to be praised, how worthy he is to be adored, how worthy he is to be thanked, how worthy he is to be worshiped. And that's what shifts you 
into your destiny, because now when you're praising what's truly the most worthy thing in the universe, you are doing what you were designed to do. This is why I don't want to be late for church on Sunday, because I want to be a part of all the celebrating. I want to be a part of the first string, the first strum of the first guitar, the first git fiddle that I hear. I want to be I want to be praising God in the words of Jed Clampett, for those of you that are old enough to remember. But I'm telling you, folks, the first the first utterance of praise that comes out of someone's mouth in this church. I want to hear it. I want to feel it because it's giving the one who's worthy the praise that he deserves. And every time you praise God, it's not to solve your problem. You're not praising God because you're trying to use praise as some way to get out of your situation. You realize how worthy he is. And that causes the reflex of praise and worship and celebration and gratitude and thanks. And that's how I want to encourage you to live like my life today. I'm more grateful. I'm more thankful. I've learned anything in this life after the decades I've been a Christian, the decades I've been on this planet. This is the one thing that matters more than anything. It's gratitude. It's gratefulness. It's thankfulness for who God is and what he's done for who he is and what he's done for who he is and what he's done. And when I forget who he is and what he's done, that's why I need that's why I need to go back to the scripture over and over and over again, because it tells me, it gives me a picture of who he is and what he's done. Just the scripture, we sh- just the scripture that was our foundational verse last Sunday is enough for me to praise God for the rest of my life. In Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 38, when he said, for, you know, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about who God anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil like that just causes me to pause and say, wow, that's what God is like. He's always doing good and he's always healing all and he's always the healer. He's always the deliverer. He's always the do gooder. He's always doing good in our lives. And when you think like that and when you focus on that, it really sets your mind free. It sets your heart free. Let me show you something in. Um, oh. Isaiah 26. Lord, thank you. Memory of the righteous is blessed. Isaiah chapter 26. And I want to read this scripture to you. Isaiah chapter 26. And. Verse three and let me put this up in the King James Bible, if you guys can. He says this in um, Isaiah, chapter 26, verse three in the King James Bible, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. God will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. In other words, if you want perfect, perfect peace, this is the word shalom, uh, which is uh, wholeness, completeness. It's uh, nothing's missing in your life. Nothing's broken in your life. There's completeness. There's soundness. There's there's well-being in every area of your life. That's what this word peace means here in this verse. God will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. What the enemy wants to do in our lives is get our minds off of him. 
get our minds, even if it's a even if it can come across Christian, I got to get my mind on what I need to do. I got to get my mind on on um, on on God's holiness. I got to get my mind on on what God, you know, what God demands of me, what God expects of me. No, you need to have your mind on him as a person. You need to have your mind on him as your father. Have your mind on him as your as 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 the one who is most worthy of your attention, most worthy of your praise, most worthy of your adoration, most worthy of your affection, most worthy of your words, most worthy of your time, most worthy of your money, most worthy. Oh, can you see we're not trying to learn a set of Christian characteristics and Christian habits. We're trying to fix our minds on the one who is worthy, the one when you see him the way he really is, you will you will focus all of your attention and affection on him. You'll give him nothing. You won't hold back anything from him when you see how beautiful and glorious he is. Listen, listen, we could just go through. I got example after example after example. I'm going to tell you something as we get ready to take communion um, in in uh, first Corinthians chapter 10. I'll just read it to you here and you can look it up as well in first Corinthians chapter 10. And Jesus has demonstrated and Paul is now living out this communion life, this 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 communion lifestyle, this a life of of fixing our eyes on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And so in first Corinthians, chapter 10, um, and I think it's verse uh, 16, where it says, is this is not this cup of blessing which we bless a communion in the blood of Christ and is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. And so he tells us that this this bread is the sharing of the body of Christ and this cup is the it's the cup of blessing. And this is how we activate, he says, God's blessing. He says, we bless with the cup of blessing is this is is not the cup of blessing which we bless. This is what we bless with the cup of blessing. This is what. Oh, man, because the taking communion is not about you getting the sin out of your life. Taking communion is about you remembering that Jesus got the sin out of your life. This is what taking communion is. When you eat the bread, you're you're you. It's not you having to make a sacrifice. It's you remembering the sacrifice. It's you remembering what Jesus has done. And that's why he says in chapter 11, if you go if you go over to first Corinthians, chapter 11, he says, look, verse 23, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he doesn't put any limits on how often you can drink this cup. 
He says, as often as you do it, remember me, remembrance in remembrance of me in remembrance of what about him, that his blood is inaugurating the new covenant and his body was broken for you so that by his stripes you could be healed so that you could be forgiven and healed. So we're remembering what he's done for us. We're reenacting what he's done for us. We're we're reflecting on what he's done for us. We're thanking him for what he's done for us. When you take communion, nobody gets the glory except Jesus. When you take that bread and take that cup. Nobody can get the glory except Jesus, not a pope, not a priest, not a preacher, not an evangelist, not a pastor, nobody, no human being on this earth, no creature. Only Jesus gets the glory when we come to the table of communion. We give him all the glory because all of our attention is on what all of our attention is on what he's done for us. It's not on what we're supposed to do. It's on what he has done. We do it in remembrance of him. We don't do it in remembrance of our sin. We don't do it in remembrance of what we've done. We don't do it in remembrance of our mistakes. We don't do it in remembrance of our failures. We don't do it in remembrance of sin because God doesn't even remember our sins anymore. We do it in remembrance of him, not in remembrance of sin. I don't want you to ever take communion and go, oh, I'm just sinful. Oh, I'm just so bad. Oh, I just repent. Lord, I repent before I eat this bread. I got to make sure I repent. No, before you eat this bread, you need to make sure you realize that it's in remembrance of him. It's in remembrance of the cross. It's in remembrance of what he did for you, not in remembrance of you bringing up your past that Jesus doesn't even remember anymore, bringing up your sins that God has no recollection of. He's got no recollection of your sin. He's got no remembrance of your sin, your sins and your iniquities. He will remember no more. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter eight, he will remember them no more. He doesn't just forgive them. He forgets them. He removes them as if they've never existed. I'm standing in humility, not because I'm sinless because of what I've done, but I'm standing here thankful that I'm sinless because of what Jesus has done for me, because there is no sin that can enter into the presence of God. And guess what? You can't get rid of all the sins in your life through your behavior or through changing and through becoming perfect because nobody is except Jesus. But he makes you sinless by removing your sins from you. And every time you drink the cup of his blood, you're remembering you're not getting forgiven again. You're remembering, you're remembering, you're remembering what he's done. He says, for as often for as often as you eat this bread and drink. Am I done? I didn't know I was done, but you can keep playing. (laughs) It sounds good. (laughs) Um, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. Hey, what is it that that the Lord's death does for us? Okay, watch this now. This is so important. Hebrews chapter nine. Watch this. Hebrews chapter nine. In verse 16, he says, verse 15, well, verse 14, uh, Genesis one. Let's start there. Look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered, it says, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. 
and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, through his own blood. He entered the perfect tabernacle through his own blood. He appeared as high priest of the good things to come through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all. So does that sound like you have to be forgiven a second time, a third time, a fourth time, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and he says, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, if that sanctifies for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, how much more will the blood of Christ? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, it will cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works are just anything we try to do to be made right with God. Those are dead works. But his blood cleanses us from those so that we're empowered to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance for where there is a covenant, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it for a covenant is only valid when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. So when Jesus goes to the cross and sheds his blood for your sins and my sins, we have to wake up to what he really did. He didn't just cleanse us of our sins, although he sure did a great job at that. What he did was he caused the covenant to become valid. The new covenant can only be valid when the one who makes it is dead, only when he's dead. This is why Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim my death until I come, proclaim that you are in the new covenant, proclaim that it's all finished, proclaim that it is done, proclaim that the price is paid, the battle is won, the sentence is served, the bills are paid, the curse is broken, proclaim it's done, proclaim my death because my death means the covenant is now valid. Therefore, he says the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. He said for he says in verse 18, verse 19, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses, all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats and the water and of scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and the vessels. And according to the law, one may say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. 
nor was that he would offer, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood, not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once for all at the consummation of the ages, he is manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes the judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. He will appear a second time. The first time he came to deal with sin and make a covenant. But the second time he comes and he is coming again. He says he will appear a second time. For salvation without reference to sin, without reference to sin. You know, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to say caught you smoking. Caught you cussing, you're going to hell. He will come again and make no reference to your sin. Well, how is that the day of judgment? It's the day that he shows up, having dealt with the judgment, having taken the judgment, having taken everything for us. So all we do is eagerly await him. Our mission now is to eagerly await him, to praise him, to worship him until he comes and to bring others into this beautiful covenant. That's not done once a year like it used to be in the old covenant. It's once for all time, the blood of Jesus, so that you would be in the perfect will of God from this day forward. That's why we take communion because the word communion in the Bible, the word that he's talking about there is the word Eucharist. It's from the Greek word Eucharista, and it means thankful for the grace. Thank you for the grace. Eucharista. Thank you for the grace. 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 Thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you. When we take communion, we're saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every time we take communion, we're saying thank you. The word thanks in the Bible comes from this word Eucharista. Thank you for the grace. 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 We called it in, in Catholics in Catholic circles. We called it the Eucharist in the, uh, the Lutherans called it the Eucharist. Many people call it the Eucharist. Why? Because it's the body of Jesus it's the body and blood of Jesus. And we're and what it means is thank you for the grace. 
Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the grace. Our mission in life is just to thank him for his grace. 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 And ultimately, our whole when we get to heaven, the whole existence in heaven is going to start and end with worshiping the lamb upon the throne. And so we start now. If you as soon as you start now by worshiping the lamb on the throne now, worship the one who died for you. Worship the one who sacrificed for you. Worship the one who adores you. Adore him back because he adores you who don't deserve it. He's worthy of adoration. I adore him for adoring me. He adores me. I don't deserve it. So I adore him who does deserve it for adoring me who doesn't deserve it. He adores you who don't deserve it. So adore him back. The one who does deserve it for adoring you who didn't deserve it. We adore him. And this is the life of loving God, being loved by him and loving him back. That's what worship is. It's adoration for loving. It's it's the love that he has for us. Thank you for loving me who didn't deserve it. I give you praise. You who do, you who does deserve it. I give you worship. You are worthy. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy.